0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. A real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark
1: and Dr. Karen Hutchinson.
2: Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. As usual, we've got a really great show for you all. Phil, who do we have today?
0: Today we have Brandon Stivers, and he's uh, he's with Kingdom Families over in Tanzania. And, you know, Brandon is, is a great guy as you'll hear, but he's also a guy who I got to know through the podcast. And that's, it's always exciting to me when, you know, what, what we ask for all the time on here, Karen, what, what we ask for is engagement. We ask for people to get involved with not just what we're, uh, t- you know, what they're doing on the ground, which of course they're involved with of course, what they're excited about, but really engage the conversation with us. And Brandon has done that. And, you know, as an outpouring, as an outflow of that, we have this interview and it's such a blessing to me to hear the impact that this show has had, that the book in pursuit has had. And, uh, you know, and then it's also a blessing that Brandon gets to share his knowledge, his wisdom, his expertise, all that he's learning with all of us. And so, you know, I just I just get excited because it's exactly what we're talking about, what we're hoping for, the collaboration, the working together. All that we can do together, and that's that's really what we're we're hoping for and dreaming about. And I know you and I, Karen, you and I talk about it all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know. See, that was that was a resounding yeah. So, folks out <laughs> there, you know, Karen it was a lot more excited if you could have seen her face. She was just exuberant there. It didn't sound like it, but she was. So, you know, this is something that we get we get fired up about. You know, when people reach out to us. So, folks, do that, please engage the conversation through Facebook through uh, email to us through you know any any sort of comments on, on the on the show notes. We really do read them we listen to them and I, I really try to connect with with as many of the people who are, are writing in as possible. So, so I encourage you to do that and also there's a, there's a chance if you're if you're listening in or if you know somebody that's over in Ethiopia or Uganda, There's a great opportunity that, uh, you know, I'm going to be over there with with a few other folks. We're going to be doing some, we've got the Transform World Summit in Ethiopia from uh, November 6th through the 9th. If you're anywhere near that region or if that's something that sounds interesting to you, we'll have the the link on the show notes for that. And afterwards, we're going to have some uh, meetings with Ethiopian leaders on organizational health, on how we can collaborate better. And then the following week, we're going to be doing some work over in Uganda, and uh, at New Hope Uganda with Keith McFarland and, and who's my co-author and Karen and I co-author on, on uh, In Pursuit. We're gonna be doing some training there on orphan excellence, on best practices, on organizational health, and, and really how we can work together, how we can collaborate better so that we can be loving these kids that we're, we're caring with, for and working with better and better every day as we talk about on this show. So without more about that, I want to get to this interview with Brandon. It is a little bit of a longer interview, but it's fantastic. He talks about so many things that are so important to all this work. And, uh, you know, he also talks about a book that he has written in Swahili. So if that's something that you know, anybody out there who's doing work for with orphaned vulnerable children, and they speak Swahili, and that's their, that's their native tongue, this is a book that's, uh, that, that's definitely something that they're going to need to need to grab. So anyway, without more, we're going to send you to my interview with Brandon Stiver. Well, Brandon, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. It's, it's been a while uh, since we talked about getting this conversation uh, on the podcast, and we're finally here. So, Brandon, how the heck are you?
1: I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, just, I, I love the ministry that you guys are doing, and, and it's really an honor to, uh, to to join in.
0: Well, you know, and we talked about this even before we started recording, that that we actually met through the podcast, you know, you heard the podcast, you read In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence, and you reached out to me, and and we've we've since started a friendship. Still haven't been able to meet in person yet, but, uh, you know, that will happen at the right time. Very excited uh, to do that someday. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely, I just want to, and, and before we get into the conversation, I just want to let all you know out there, Brandon is, is uh, we're having this conversation, he's actually in Tanzania, we're both California boys, but he is now <laughs> in uh, in East Africa doing doing some, some great work over there, and God is just working in and through him in awesome ways that we're going to get into today, but you might be hearing some uh, different noises in the background, so just go with it, and pretend that you're sitting in a room <laughs> with us in the middle of Tanzania, um, you know, with a bunch of animals and potentially other noises that we don't know what they are. So I just wanted exactly. to prep you out there for that. But, uh, you know, before we get into some of the, some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, Brent, I just want you to introduce yourself to, to our audience. For those of you who, for those of those folks out there that don't know you, um, just introduce kind of who you are and how you, how you did end up moving yeah. from California to Tanzania.
1: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, uh, I'm Brandon Stiver. Um, I, uh, live in Moshi, Tanzania. I'm the program director for an organization here called, um, Kingdom families and what Kingdom families is, is a family based, uh, orphan care and advocacy ministry where we really focus on uh, doing whatever part God calls us to in mobilizing the local church um, to care for orphans and widows and uh, vulnerable people in their communities. Um, I actually first uh, came to Tanzania, um, first came on a short-term mission trip in 2008. Um, before that, I had actually felt God call me to uh, go run an orphanage. In Africa. So it's been uh, quite the, quite the journey. Um, I ended up, uh, moving here long term in January 2010. So it's been about eight and a half years now. And I actually used to work at a children's home, a uh, Christian children's home here in the area, um, with some really, uh, wonderful people and, um, had some, uh, learned a lot and, um, actually, uh, came out of that organization with just a, greater understanding and belief in uh, God's heart for kids to grow up in families. And um, just really went to a deeper level understanding just kind of the ins and outs of of orphan care and um, what are these kids' stories. Each of them have a specific story, but at the same time you do see certain trends uh, within these kids' stories. So um, in 2014, uh, we started uh, Kingdom Families um, under our parent organization. And uh, it's been our heart ever uh, since to just see um, kids raised in families, and really to see uh, the local church uh, rise up and, and take their take their place in leading that.
0: Yeah, and, th- and you know that's something I want to just uh, kind of camp on for a little bit is just the idea of you know there's so many people listening to this podcast. There's so many people around the world that are working in cross-cultural relationships. And, you know, something I wanted to talk with you a little bit about is, you know, how we, um, you and I as Americans, other Westerners and just other people who are working in cross-cultural relationships, um, and, uh, how we can do that in a way that honors God, um, and though, and honors those with whom we are working.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think that that's kind of uh, the crux of a lot of uh, our our work. Um, And I think that beyond, I I mean, certainly I want to speak to the ethics of it, but even we want to talk to how efficient or how effective can our ministry actually be. And what I have found is even if you just want to have an effective ministry, if you're not going into that cross-cultural situation Um, understanding that no change is ultimately going to be long lasting or sustainable unless you tap into what God is already doing within that community. So of course, as the Westerner, the outsider, whatever you want to say for us to go into that situation, sure, we can have some expertise or we learn some best practice or or so on and so forth. But actually, if we want to have a long term, uh, effect, positive effect on that community, we really do need to uh, go in with a submissive spirit and submit to what God wants to do, and also to recognize what He's already doing. Um, so, for us with uh, family-based orphan care, you know, we actually look at um, at two different two different ways, and we have all these you know terms that we're all familiar with, like family preservation and kinship care and adoption, and all these different uh, facets of family-based care. And for us, we look at it like Um, what what is the most effective thing that's already taking place traditionally uh, that's highly effective from within the Tanzanian community? And when we look at family preservation or kinship care, which are like these terms that we've kind of thrown on these things that have been taking place uh, for generations and centuries within our communities, uh, we have to recognize that actually Tanzanians were already very good and it was very natural for them to do things like, kinship care and family preservation, um, you know, even down to the, down to the, the language that we use, you know, um, the older sister of the mother is Mama Kubwa, the big mother. So it's like when a kid is born, they are already born with multiple mothers and fathers. And, you know, we have the old African adage where it takes a village to raise a child. It's like, we already can see from within the community that there are things um, within that, that culture and that society that God already wants to do. So it's like, we actually, sometimes will be like, you know, we took kids and sometimes we might put them in an institutional care setting. And then now we start to see, oh no, we need family-based care. So now we throw on a label like, oh, this is kinship care. And we act like, you know, like we came up with this thing, but actually it's something that was going on in the culture for, for years and years. Um, but then you also look for the things, you know, what is God asking me as the Westerner or the, you know, cross-cultural minister, um, to introduce into this, um, environment. And for us, uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about is adoption, um, in Swahili, which is the language that we use here in Tanzania, there's no um, Swahili word for adoption. Um, because traditionally it was not even necessarily something that was needed. However, now it is something that we, that we do need for uh, certain children that can't return to their biological family. So we actually talk about adoption. So with you know, engaging these local communities as an outsider, it's really important that we recognize, first of all, what is God already doing? How can we submit to local leadership? Um, how can we uh, supply and um, serve Uh, the local leaders as they lead, and then also what are those things um, within our ministry that we can introduce as um, a cultural good that's really of the culture of the kingdom of God uh, foremost that will help uh, the vulnerable people, uh, whether that be uh, children or widows or or what have you, um, within that given society. Yeah, can you speak to something too?
0: The I I love all that you said there, and it's it's just really something I hear a lot around the world, um, and I hear it, it mostly coming from people that have been overseas or that haven't been overseas. But the question is something along the lines of, you know, yeah, I understand what you're saying about national leadership, and it's important to have people do the work. But man, we could just do it so much better if we went in and did it ourselves, and we could do it quicker, we could do it faster, more efficient, we could go in and, and just make change that would be totally what needs to happen. And we know what needs to happen. Well, how would you respond to that?
1: Wow, yeah, that's, I've certainly seen that as well. And, and in all truth, uh, have had that mentality at times myself. Um, And of course, you got to love the enthusiasm of such people. And, You know, we would never want to turn anybody, anybody off um, from engaging with uh, communities that are in need of assistance. Um, But really, we have to, again, going back to what I said previously, we have to recognize um, the national leadership and they have been there, not just since the beginning of their lives, but generations past And, you know, within child protection or child welfare within development work at large, um, we always want to talk about sustainability. Sustainability is kind of like one of those big buzzwords. And if we want to actually see something sustainable, the first thing again is to recognize that there are already things within this community that are sustainable. We always say, well, we want to build towards sustainability, but culture in general is sustainable. now. That doesn't mean that it's always in the right spot. Of course there can be profound uh, poverty or there can be uh, uh, failings in, in child protection and those types of things, but there are still elements from within that culture or that neighborhood that community that are already sustainable. So of course we can enter into a situation with all the enthusiasm in the world, and you know we read these great books, or you know listen to these great podcasts, or got these you know degrees or whatever. But the people that are there have been there, and whether we like it or not, um, we are we are the visitor. We are the mgeni, as we would say in Swahili. We're we're the we're the outsider. Um, and whether we realize it or not from the forefront, there will come a time where we actually won't be there anymore, but these people will continue on. And I think that, um, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing to, to consider when we talk about national leadership, because it really is our job to, to position ourselves in submission and just, you know, fan whatever God wants to do within that community, because they're going to continue on and, and whether we like it or not, um, most Westerners don't stay in the same place for the rest of their lives. And even they will eventually go back to their home culture in most situations, of course, not all, but most of the time. So I really think it is, uh, important for sustainability and, um, just for the long-term betterment of a society for that national leadership to, to take that position. And, and also it's going to be better received. Um, one of the things that I know we'll talk about in a few moments, um, is we want to prop up the national leaders because for, for me as an American, um, if I can, if, I, if God has given me a message and I can help one of my Tanzanian brothers uh, that pastors a church to embrace that message and then it comes out of his mouth, I can tell you for sure that they're gonna listen to him or her a lot more than they're gonna listen to me. And it makes sense because they can look at me and I have a, you know, white skin and they can say, oh, yeah, that sounds great when it comes from you, but you're coming from somewhere else. But when it comes from someone that they're like, well, this man or this woman grew up on the same uh, corner as I did. So I'm actually going to think that what he's saying is actually feasible for our community.
0: Yeah, as a related question, you may have already answered it, but I, I just want to just make it clear for our audience. Like, what, what is one thing or, you know, a couple things that you have learned about leadership, you've learned about how you can love others um, that you wouldn't have learned if you wouldn't have moved to Tanzania and started working there?
1: Wow. Um, a couple things that I've learned about leadership. Um, Hmm, I've learned a lot about leadership. The first thing that popped into my head was actually the importance to delegate tasks. (laughs) Um, Because uh, when we first started off, I, you know, I was wearing all these different hats. And I'm not a social worker, you know, but we start a social services program. And it's and, you know, so so there's like those those difficulties of like, well, this is not my education or my experience background. So then you hire a social worker, you delegate that stuff out. Um, and I think I I could say for the families that we're serving, um, in our social services side of the ministry, that they're better off, um, and they feel better loved because we got people that were actually qualified and had the experience and the heart to fulfill that particular role. Whereas again, my role is more with, um, more with pastors and leaders and and trying to uh, engage on a thought level to see changes from uh, within the culture so um, i would definitely say that that is actually really important Um, another thing about leadership uh, to help people feel uh, that love is just to take the time to get to know uh, the person that that is serving under you. Um, and and of course, even saying serving under you sounds so, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even like saying that, because actually, you know, Jesus, uh, in his example, got down and served under them, you know, when he got down and, and washed their feet. And I do feel like for us as leaders, um, serving in Tanzania has taught me this so much, that uh, take that posture of, of humility and also invest, your time in the people that, that you're serving alongside and the families um, that, you're, that you're involved with. Let them know that you care for who they are aside from what they do. And um, yeah, I, I really think that, that that goes actually probably furthest along. <laughs> um, once yeah. once you, get, you get that, you know, we can look at it from how can our ministry be most effective and of course, you know, we want to report back to our supporters. Hey, we did this, this, and this. But even that won't come until the pastors and the families that we're serving understand that we really love them and, and we really are just interested in who they are uh, beyond whatever partnership we, uh, we we gain from that relationship.
0: Yeah, that's something I know I've learned in working cross-culturally is That I probably wouldn't have learned in such like vivid, you know, just reality of the fact that you can't really uh, be a leader, a true leader, a servant leader of someone unless you know them uh, as well as you can know them. And if you don't take the time to not only know the person and their personality and who they are but the culture that they live in and who and what created, you know, what formed them and shaped them. And you, and that, that you can't shortcut that. You can't, you can't fast forward that process. You have to go through it in a real way. Same. You have to go with each one of your kids, you know, you have to take the time to really study them and understand them and, and know how you can lead them and love them. Um, and sometimes that, you know, leads to hard decisions. Sometimes that leads to tough love and, and truth and love. But you can't speak that truth and love until you really know them. Um, Absolutely. And you've earned that conversation. So we talk about that a lot on the show. But in speaking of uh, talking about in the show in the past episodes, I know you've listened to many of the episodes. Um, you've been engaging in the conversation uh, for, for, uh, you know, for a long time. I mean, so I think it was very close to the beginning that you contacted me. And so yeah. I just want you to kind of speak to, to our audience, maybe somebody who's just listening for the first time, just kind of stumbled upon it. Uh, maybe one of your friends or family who are listening cause they love you and they knew you were on it. <laughs> um, wh- why is this, a, why has this been valuable to you and how do you think it can help others to, uh, engage this conversation and go back and listen to some of the past episodes?
1: Yeah, uh, I this, this show has actually been really integral for me, I would say, actually. Um, I actually first heard about it because I had read In Pursuit and then um, I had just started on Twitter and I followed you and you posted, hey, we're gonna do this podcast. And from the get go, like once, you know, you did the first episode, I was right there with you. And uh, it's been it's been really, really cool and really helpful. Um, You know, there's certain thought leaders within Christian Orphan Care that I look up to that you've had on your show. And um, and it's I I think the biggest thing, you know, we're over here in Tanzania. Um, We have been for the last eight and a half years. And uh, there's no real opportunities for professional development like for me as a, as a practitioner. And of course, like, uh, you know, all the, all the top Christian orphan care books, you know, orphanology, orphan justice in defense of the fatherless, like, you know, in pursuit, of course, like I've read all of those, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I need this. But then having the podcast, we actually get to hear even more and from a broader, uh, from a broader spectrum of, of professionals, practitioners, uh, pastors and and so forth. So, um, I think that that's been the biggest thing, absolutely. And there's a number of people that now I'm following along and getting in touch with their resources and their teachings, um, just because I first heard them on Think Orphan. So, um, I'm actually a, am a, a big, I'm a big fan in, and I'm in my master's program right now. So I've, Uh, I have, I I do have a handful that I haven't listened to, but I'm for sure like through the first hundred and I just have a few to catch up on. So, um, but yeah, no, I, it's, it's been very, uh, integral, uh, for my development as a practitioner.
0: Well, I think they keep getting better after hundred. So I think you got your information. Ah. <laughs> so, I'm sure they do. No, you know it's, and that's so encouraging to me because you know, and we've talked about this in the past. Like, you know, when you start something like this, you don't know how it's actually going to work. You know, I was hoping and praying that that would be the impact it would have. The people yeah. like yourself who are who are overseas who aren't able to get to conferences, who aren't able to get to seminars, and even those who are, because you know, you hear a talk at a conference, and that's great, and it's it's fantastic. And you you know all those people that you mentioned those different. Books as a personal, you know, friends of mine who wrote those books, and and you know, but to be able to sit down and talk with them is is so valuable. But most people aren't able to do that. But if we can do that and be able to put it on the internet, you can hear that conversation, then and you can connect with those folks, and and that's the that's the hope I have too, and that's what I know about most of the guests and I can say that cause most of them are personal friends of mine. They're very accessible. They're all of us are yeah. busy, but if you're going to send yeah. an email and text or whatever and say, Hey, you know, can we get on a call for a half hour? I just got some questions for you. Most of them would take that call in, in a heartbeat and be able to help you out. Um, wow. and once you can get your schedules, you know, figured out. So, um, and you know, and those some some aren't able to during a certain seasons, and that's okay too. That's how we all understand that. But, but anyway, and that's what I hope for the show, folks out there, as you're listening. You know, just really, when I say engage the conversation, when I say ask questions, when I say connect with us, I mean it. I don't just say it. Those aren't just empty words. Those are things that you know. This, I think, this interview is a perfect example of that. That this friendship has started through you reaching out and saying, "Hey, let's connect," and we just got on a phone call together, found out we had a lot in common, but also just that you know, we have a common heart for these for these children. And all around the world, so um, definitely. And speaking of that, you know, you've you have uh, adopted a son, Moses. Uh, you've mm-hmm. been doing this work in Tanzania. You have really become a huge advocate for family-based care for transitioning uh, institutions to family-based care. You had a post, uh, you had a blog post where you started the quote, started with the quote: uh, "The AIDS ep- epidemic in Africa is huge." But it's led to an even worse epidemic, and that's children growing up without fathers. You know, those are some pretty – and that's a pretty bold statement right there. You know, that that's a pretty strong – not pretty. That's a very strong statement that you're starting that out with. I totally agree with you, and that's something as far as, you know, a global crisis, the fatherless crisis is just massive in the in – the, the results are, you know, and the, the carnage and the wake of that Mm -hmm. is so evident all over the world. But I just want you to speak to that, your heart for that, how you came to that. I mean, you talked about it a little bit, you alluded to it at the beginning of this, of this conversation, Mm -hmm. but you know, why is that such a passion of yours? And really it's been kind of your battle cry for the last, you know, few years I've been following you. Um, and, uh, something that you, you know, you're telling everyone that will listen about it. So why is sure. that, that you're so passionate about it? And what, what uh, you know, can we do to, to join you and walk alongside you?
1: Yeah, and that, that particular quote, um, that's not an original quote, no. Uh, that was actually something that um, on the night that I first felt called to orphan care in Africa, it was Father's Day in 2007, and there was a guest, uh, I was in Orange County at the time, uh, still attending university, and uh, the guest preacher was Mike Pilavachi. Um He's a great pastor from Soul Survivor Church in the UK, and that was what—that was something that he said. And God had just started to stir orphan care in Africa in my heart, and never been didn't know that that was you know my trajectory whatsoever um but it really hit me you know because um to the average person and i was i'm still incredibly average (laughs) um the average person the one thing that they know about africa is the aids epidemic and um when he when he started his sentence you know with that i was like okay yeah i've heard this but then when he got to no, the worst thing is fatherlessness. And that just really, it, it really struck me to the heart because I had always had, you know, a desire to be a father. It was, it was, uh, even at a young age, that was my, that was my passion. And so it kind of connected some dots for me initially, um, to where, you know, I finished up university soon thereafter and just, you know, started marching towards orphan care in Africa. And, um, being able to visit here in 2008 and then come back in 2009 and then move here in 2010, I started to see this is what that fatherlessness epidemic uh, really looks like. And it is, it is far reaching. Um, It still breaks my heart. Um, I I just, there's, there's no, there's no words that you can, use to actually scratch the surface of what's going on in um, a child's heart and in their life um, when they're fatherless and you know it's like that's why that's why god's heart is for them why he keeps talking about fatherless children orphans like over and over and over again because because the the experience that they have um is devastating it's absolutely devastating. And to think, and, 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 you know, I learned at that point, you know, that this is taking place in Africa and, you know, I've been living in Tanzania for several years now and I see it. Um, but it's not only here, of course, um, it's, it's in the United States, you know, um, I think of, you know, John Sauer's, uh work who you've had on here, um, you know, just highlighting that in America, um, it's had a profound impact on, um, the family lineage from, from me and my wife and, you know, generations prior fatherlessness. Um, so, so it is, it's, it's devastating. I'm passionate about it because, um, Because I I just can't stand that for children. I couldn't stand that for my own children if it were to if it were to take place. Um, So, you know, I took that initially and said, well, I got to go and I got to be a father. I got to be a father. So um, when I started working at the children's home several years ago, I thought to myself, I'm going to be a father. And, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'd moved there. I was only 23 years old and I was like, I'm a father. And some of these kids, you know, are only like five or six years younger than me, but that was kind of my identity. But I started to recognize like, as much as I love these kids, this system doesn't necessarily lend to me being a father. And then when I had. Uh, our firstborn promise. Um, I started to learn. Oh, okay. This is what it means to really be a father—to have this deep, intimate connection that I know, of course, you share with your kids as well. So um, it just became it, that. That passion has just continued to grow. Like we have to. It can't just be. I need to go there and be a father. Yes, I can be a father. I have three kids right now. Um, you know, maybe we can top out at five or six. I don't know. But um, but the more important thing now is to raise fathers. Um, to raise fathers, whether that's in Tanzania or East Africa or in America, we have to be equipping um, men. And of course, women like motherlessness is just as bad. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a father, I say like I'm, I'm speaking to the fathers like we have to raise up um, men that that take that uh, that take that calling and also recognizing that some other men have uh, abdicated that calling all the more for men from within the church to step into those rules um, and absolutely it's a huge it, it's it's something that burns on my heart
0: and what can a fa- what what does a father bring to a child that that uh, cannot happen in the absence of a father
1: uh, Melissa and I my wife and I we really think um, I think it was John and Stacey Eldridge that talked about how, um, a, a mother teaches the child their self-worth and a father teaches them their identity. And I thought that that was pretty, pretty, um, poignant. And I really, I see it with my own kids. And, um, you know, even today I was just having kind of a stressful day and, um, just, kind of had a few moments where I'm just like, oh my goodness, my kids, you know, and, and not necessarily speaking that life into them, you know, having those moments of, of just kind of, you know, not, not being the best dad. And you can see it like whether I'm on it or whether I'm not, um, my kids are understanding who they are by what I say and what I do. Um, so I really think that that identity piece um, that a father brings is, is absolutely core. And, you know, and of course, when we do mistakes, of course, we have to go back and we have to say, you know, I'm sorry, like, I was stressed, I had my mind on something else, you're a great kid, you know, like all of that stuff. So I really do think that that identity piece is, is, is core um, to what a father brings to, to his children.
0: So why can't, um, you know, some people would argue, well, you know, you can, you can mimic that in an, in an orphanage. Why would you disagree with that? And what would you say to that comment?
1: Um, well, first of all, I mean, I, I know, I know even you yourself, you normally use the term institutional or residential care and not all residential care facilities are created equal. <laughs> yep. So I do think that that is, is, is a good thing to start off with because I, as you were even saying, you know, beforehand, sometimes we jump to, um, the term orphanage and I use it myself, um, and I can be unabashed at times. Um, but, um but not all residential care facilities are created equal. So there are some that lend to that more. I, I know you guys have a great model uh, at Providence um, where there's a man and a woman in there together. So, so they actually do get that father figure, which is amazing. Um, and of course we're trying to raise up kids um, that, uh, that know, their actual father if possible or if not then a man a pastor from the church or whatever that will um step into that role Um, the difficulty with a lot of residential care facilities and not all of them but but many of them um, is that the system itself it doesn't it doesn't look like the family so you can't expect that the end game or the end result is going to look like a family you know, we always talk about God created two designs. God created um, marriage, family, okay? So God God's two institutions, if you will, are family and the people of God. So in the Old Testament, that was, you know, Israel, and in the New Testament, it's the church. So we always talk about you, if we deviate from the two institutions that God created, which is family and church, um, then we're just kind of asking for for trouble, and unfortunately, most residential care facilities, um, they, don't, they don't necessarily look like either of those, so therefore, most of the people that work there um, are not necessarily gonna take that that father-mother role, and of course, there's exceptions, and I know that there are people thinking, well, you don't know this person and that person, and I was like, I, I totally recognize there are exceptions, um, but generally speaking, that system Uh, does not lend itself um, to, to creating fathers. And we've seen staff turnover from, from children's homes that we're um, familiar with, or, you know, even me myself, like I have to live with that. Like I was at a children's home working for two and a half years and then I wasn't anymore. And as much as I wanted to be a father to those kids. I'm not. And, you know, I have to live with that because that was, that was my passion. But, um, I just think the system itself generally doesn't lend itself to it because it's not, it's not God's design. God's design is family.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously these are all questions. I mean, this whole conversation has very loaded questions that we uh, have shortcut big time. And I know that people out there are like, I want more, I want more. good news is you can connect with Brandon. Um, in uh different uh ways and uh it was interesting that that the phone rang right at that time I know, because right? I was talking Somebody about connecting, connecting with you so that was just a, an audio you know <laughs> trigger for you out there to how can people connect with you Brandon if they you know if they have some questions for you um want to learn more about kingdom families want to learn more about you and your
1: family how can they how can they connect and learn more about you Sure. Yeah. Um, so our, you can of course email us at info at kingdomfamiliestanzania.org. Um, I, you can reach out to us on Facebook we're very accessible and we get random emails all the time. So yeah. it's a, uh, it's totally acceptable. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, when I can be, uh, it's at beast underscore B T K. Um, but yeah, shoot us an email if you're in Moshi, Tanzania, or if we catch you in California when we're back home. Um, we would love to love to connect with people. And my my wife is actually much better on social media, so she's a uh, so she would actually be the the person to get on Instagram. But um, anyways, yeah, and that's Melissa, right? That's Melissa. Yeah. Okay.
0: So yeah, so you know, I'm gonna get into you. You've written a book. Um, yeah in Swahili. And before you get in that, I want to, I want to chat for a minute about how in pursuit kind of shaped what some of your thinking or didn't shape your thinking. Um, but just kind of what when you read in pursuit of orphan excellence, and I don't talk about this normally, but I know that since you've read it, since you're in the context of it on the ground, um, what, how did that impact your thinking if at all? Um, and how are you using that, uh, in the ministry that you're
1: doing today? Yeah, well, actually, um, I would say from from that book, thinking back, um, the 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 best chapter to me was actually the chapter on national leadership, which I know is something that we're discussing uh, even now, which I believe your co-author yep. um, was was involved with that particular chapter. Um, so I, that that like and there are things that like when you read it, it just sticks with you because we'll say as, as um, Westerners, we're working ourselves out of a job. And I'll always remember that line where he's like, where, where you know, he's working in Uganda, I believe, and he yep. says, and they tell him, we don't want you to work yourself out of a job because then there's no relationship. And just that emphasis on relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the biggest thing um, that was so um, poetic and or it was so like um, poignant, um, was actually in the beginning of the book, um, where the people are uh, taking the the tour of of the children's home, and one lady is spouting off, "Oh, this is so incredible!" Da da da. And that there's a minister within that group. And correct me if I if I'm getting this wrong at all, but um, he's just kind of you know listening to this lady and says, "Well, I suppose you wouldn't mind then if if your children were raised here." And then she's kind of taken aback and says. Um, well, of course not, but my children aren't orphans. And did, did I get that right? Yep, you got it right. I mean, uh, almost okay, almost cool. verbatim, <laughs> that was good. It's almost like to read it recently. I have not read it recently, <laughs> but it just stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that actually uh, gave me just this, like that has to be the standard, which I know that was even related to your guys' subtitle. Um, you know, that has to be the standard. If it's not good enough for our kids, why should it be good enough for these other kids? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we carry with us. And that's 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 something that we absolutely call people to. And even we've had some difficult conversations with people that want to start children's home, and they haven't done the research, and um, they're not familiar. You know, Tanzanian policy, it does not lend itself to children's homes. In right. fact, if you read the policy, it will say, children's home placements ought to be a last resort. So if you come over here from California or wherever and you say, I wanna start a children's home, you're basically saying, I wanna set up the last resort. Mm-hmm. Well, we you know, we wanna say, well, we actually, what should be the first resort? Families, like that's that's what the policy says, that's what the Bible says, so that's what we're gonna do. Um, but just that that uh, opening part, it really, it, 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 and early on, because I read a lot of these books years ago, of course, um, early on, uh, within kingdom families ministry, that was very pointed to me that that has to be the standard. Um, if it's, if it's not good enough for, for our kids then it shouldn't be good enough for any kids. And to be honest, I mean, my son was raised in a, in a children's home for the first eight years with good leadership. It was well-funded. It was the best children's home that you could be, but he still struggles with a lot of, you know, difficulties and we're walking through those things with him. And even as I say, if it's not good enough for for my kids, it shouldn't be good enough for any of these kids. But I also have to walk with that because the truth of the matter is, you know, one of my kids was there for the majority of his childhood thus far. And that's that, that that's really um, that's a really big thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. now that, that that was uh, just folks out there. You know. I had no idea what Brandon was going to say there. He could have said it was the worst book I've ever read in my life. And I'm glad you didn't say that. that that's encouraging to me.
1: But was I think that... In the it was somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, could be much worse. And I do want to give a shout out to Keith McFarlane, who did write that with Jones Bikimi and Jay Dangers about the work that New Hope Uganda is doing. Phenomenal, phenomenal work over there. And their national leadership You know, example of how it can be done in such a healthy way with, you know, with Western leadership as well in and co-leadership, in there. Usually, as I've said over time, two leaders usually means no leaders or no leader. But uh, <laughs> they have proved me wrong, and and I can, I have said this many times that my paradigm was shifted. After I visit, visited New Hope, and that's why I asked Keith to write that chapter with those two men who are who are leading New Hope, and and so um, I'm glad that I'm glad that you said that one, particularly in the context of this conversation, because folks out there, if you're looking for a way to do it healthy, you know, pick up the book and read it. I don't, you know, I don't say that because I'm trying to make we're not making a much much if at all, a couple bucks per book. So, but uh, but it's it will help you. It will encourage you and it will uh, challenge you, I think, to think differently um, in some ways um, in, in various various different things. So, But this conversation is not about that book. I just wanted to talk to you about it there because I was curious. I wanted to hear about that and I did think sure. it would lend itself and I'm glad I asked it because that, that I think gave gave me some, some encouraging words as well. So now to your book, which I want to talk more about. Um, you have written this book. Take up the cause of the fatherless. You have written it um, to the Tanzanian, to a Tanzanian audience. You've written it um, from your heart. It's a commentary, but it's more than a commentary. It's really an orphan care book, That but it takes verses that we've heard. And I haven't seen, personally, a book that has dissected these verses and these passages um, that we hear all the time, James one twenty seven, Isaiah one. Um, you got some uh, some Galatians passages. You have <clears throat> different conversations about adoption, about you know religion that is pure and undefiled as this to love the orphan, the widow in their affliction. And it's in Swahili, which is something I talk about with so many people. We're lacking so many resources in native languages in the context yeah. of that culture. And so, you know, I want to talk about the Matthew 25 passage, but before that, I want to just hear from you how God called you to write this book,
1: how mm. you said yes, <laughs> and what your hope yeah. for it is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And as uh, I'll be the first to admit that any good idea tends to start with uh, my wife Melissa. So, um, uh, let's see Christmas, 2015, we were preparing to do a summer trip to, uh, California. And for Christmas, Melissa got me, um, a writing retreat and she said, go write the book that's on your heart. And I'm, I love reading. Um, I, you know, I have some of my favorite authors and of course I've read a lot on orphan care and, um, some of my pastors that I enjoy reading and so forth. And, um, you know, I was kind of like, thinking like, what can I write that would be, you know, my favorite author is Donald Miller. It's like, I I could not touch anything, you know, (laughs) that Donald Miller could write, you know, or I was, you know, Shane Claiborne in my early years, like really impacted me or like, um, Johnny Carr, that was like the best book, uh, on orphan care to me. Like, um, so anyways, she, she, we, we go back to the States and she says, you know, go take this retreat. I got an Airbnb in Northern California. Sorry, I didn't stop by. Yeah, I was gonna um, say, but I'm glad you mentioned it and brought it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I got an Airbnb in Northern Tanzania or sorry, Northern California, and um, as I was sitting there, I was just like, "What am I gonna write? What I, I can't stand among these men and women that I enjoy reading," and but then it was also just kind of like, "Well, what's on my heart?" And it was, you know, in that cabin that I was just like. I need to write for the people that I love, the people that I've been called to minister to. Why am I even thinking about writing for an American audience in the first place? Um, Because I've been spending the last several years at that point, you know, and even still uh, serving Tanzanian pastors. And, um, you know, why don't I write for them? So um, that was kind of where it all uh, started. And um, that was, I started to write the introduction you know, in that cabin and it became a longer project. The book is not incredibly long, Mm -mm. but it just took me a long time. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just that passion to say, you know what, like these brothers and sisters, um, they don't have, they don't have orphan justice. They don't have in pursuit, like they don't, you know, but if I could do something, you know, and it's not gonna be, you know, adopted for life, good, but I could bring in some of his stuff and I could bring in some of this other thing that I learned and I can remember this from this sermon and oh, I learned this and share what I learned, you know. So um, I wanted to create something that, well, two things. One, just to honor the Tanzanians uh, churches that, that I really do love and value. And then second, Um, to write something that could go a lot further than I could go. You know, we live in Kilimanjaro um, region and I'll go to churches and I'll preach here and I'll preach on, you know, all those passages that are, that are now in the book. But if I go to one church, you know, a, a normal Tanzanian church, like 30 people, And they're, you know, some of them, they're already caring for widows and orphans. So it's like even just going there is just to encourage them. But if I could actually take all of those things that I've learned or preached on, um, and put it into a book, then it can go much further. And, and that's what we've started to do. Uh, It was it was both just the desire of my heart um, to to put that together, uh, specifically for East Africans, but also looking at it from an efficiency standpoint, this could go much further um, and reach much farther than if I were to just, you know, continue to just do, you know, Sunday services and conferences uh, in northern Tanzania. So, uh, yeah, those are the big reasons why, um, you know, writing the book in Swahili. So it's not available in English. Um maybe in the, we hope to in the future to do an English version, it will have to go through a couple rounds of editing before it's ready for that. But um, right now it is being circulated in East Africa. And, and we're really we're really proud of that. And I'm really thankful for the team uh, that helped me with that.
0: And folks out there, if you are in a place that, that understands and reads Swahili, I strongly recommend you connect with Brandon and get a copy of this and get it to the people that you know and love um, because it's fantastic. I, now, just to clarify, I read the unedited English version. I did not get fluent in Swahili to read this. <laughs> um, but I did read some Swahili words and guessed at what they meant because some of it is still in Swahili. Um, probably wrong on what they meant, but that's okay. Okay. But, I, you know, there was one passage, and this, this gives you f- folks out there just an idea of, you know, the – and I will say, you know, Bran, I, I can just – I got to know you better by reading this book, and that that's something that I think speaks to the author and speaks to the, the – this was not something that you wrote And I'm just, I I don't think I'm putting words into your mouth that aren't true, but this isn't something you just wrote to make some money. It's not something you wrote to, um, you know, to make a name for yourself in Tanzania. This is something you wrote because God put it on your heart. It's something you wrote because you had a call to truly put on paper all that, like you, and you just said that what God has been doing in and through you over the years, but it's simply going through scripture and saying, this is what I really feel God is saying through these passages for the orphan as he is, his heart cries out for these children. And this is what I see these verses saying and what these passages saying. And so in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, it's the sheep and the goat passages God separating the sheep from the goats. And he's talking about, you know, Jesus coming to the door and saying, you know, if I, you, you did not serve me, basically you did not Love me when I came to the door and knocked and, and through all these different people, the poor, the destitute. And you said in that commentary, as a father does, Jesus identifies with the oppressed within society. In Matthew 25, Jesus lists out six different groups of people that are oppressed and disgraced within society, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner. And then later in that, in that chapter, you say, if we were on a mission to serve these six groups of people. We must understand that by ministering to orphans, we can serve these six groups of all at once. When orphans are left on their own without family, they are hungry, thirsty, and without clothing. They are strangers within their own society. They are sick without someone to heal and care for them. And they are prisoners unable to secure their own freedom. If you want to minister to Jesus and meet him face to face, choose to minister to orphans. Now, can you flesh that out a little bit i know it's, it pretty much speaks for itself but anything else you yeah. want to add to share with people out there like what would you now and i do hope i i want to encourage you to edit it and i, I mean i can help you edit it if you want but <laughs> get it to the american audience to you because you know it's it's valuable it really is and so i want to encourage Thank you, you. Like that but you know When you're reading through this passage and you come to that, I've talked to people about this, but I will point them to this chapter if it gets out there, Um, because I think you hit it on the head as far as, you know, God speaking to us and throughout scripture points specifically to orphans. In this passage, he did not name orphan um, in in what Jesus is talking about. But how did you make that jump? And it's not really a long jump, I don't think, but from these six qualities to the orphan.
1: Yeah, well, um, like I said, um, a lot of this is just comes out of sermons that I've preached. And that particular, um, sermon was actually a sermon that I preached in America at our home church in Long Beach. Um, and, uh, I was actually had shared, um, I have already mentioned John Sowers who I really, uh, enjoyed fatherless generation. And he shares a number of those statistics. Uh, and, and he's not talking about Tanzania. He's talking about America. Mm-hmm. And I think when I shared, you know, just the, the higher vulnerability of kids that are uh, fatherless, um, within America. And that, you know, of course we can only imagine what extreme poverty, you know, does to exacerbate, um, those same issues in Tanzania. But, um, I preached that sermon in long beach just to kind of compel my own brothers and sisters, my American, uh, from my church at, uh, called the garden, uh, in long beach. And, um, as I was preaching on Matthew 25, um, because it is a go-to text um, for for a lot of people, you know, and Jesus, you know, just simply says, you know, "In as much as you did to the least of these, you did to me," and that's kind of like we all have that ingrained in our head. But um, where can we find the least of these? Well, really, I think we can find them anywhere. So um, that connection uh, to fatherlessness, to to the orphan—I mean, it just seemed given the relationships that I've had with fatherless children, um, and seeing, um, that they are imprisoned, you know? Um, and, and I'm not even just speaking to residential care, although some of those kids are essentially in prison. Um, but even kids that are living on the street, I mean, they're, you know, they're literally, you know, they're, they're dying. They're right there. Like when we look at vulnerability, um, any, uh, any juncture within society, um, you know, kids are, kids are made to be dependent. So when they're fatherless and motherless, when they're orphans, um, they're going to automatically start to lack all of those things that are integral to being a human. Um, so the Matthew 25 passage just really jumped out to me to kind of, Really get down into the the dirt, like what is really going on with these kids because they are destitute, they are strangers, they are they are prisoners, they are hungry. Like like all of that encapsulates um, what it is that these that these kids are facing, and and it is it is daunting um, to to imagine that those six uh, qualities can really actually be encompassed in just a single individual. But at the same time, uh, I know something that you've shared, um, that it really only takes one other individual to redeem all of those six qualities, um, to make that kid no longer a stranger, to make that kid no longer hungry or thirsty or, or imprisoned. Um, so that's really, that, that, that's my hope in, in writing that or even just sharing that is that it would compel people to um, be that one person that, that uh, such a child would need.
0: Yeah, you know, Brandon, I, I wish we could talk for hours more, um, but we do need to bring this to a close, um, and you know what the next couple questions are that are coming your way. Um, the first is what have you read, listened to, or watched, uh, that has most impacted your thinking on orphan care and the issues we've discussed today?
1: Yeah, so, um, definitely as far as recent things that I've read, I, um, Yep. um,
0: You've talked about a lot uh, of books
1: on this that have impacted sure, you. Sure, so, yeah, yeah, What, what have know, you read recently? I'm not. I'm not being paid to mention all of these books. So I'll just <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, recently, and and I'm actually really excited for this question. I've heard every single person answer it, and some answer it better than others. But I've got a good one: uh, <laughs> "Childhood in a Global Perspective" by Karen Wells. Um, I uh, I had briefly mentioned I'm currently getting my my master's, and we have a children at risk class. Um, that I actually have not started yet, but I got the reading ahead of time from my, from my professor and, um, got this book, uh, childhood in a global perspective. And it absolutely blew the doors off of my understanding of big picture stuff, um, systems that are created that leads to children's vulnerability or just their experience, um, uh, unfortunately sometimes us Americans we kind of get so um, so involved in our own experience that we don't that we fail to realize that the experience that we had as children is markedly different from what kids in the majority world experience and um, I think that uh, Karen Wells book really actually from a from a scholarly uh, level really digs into you know, what, what do these kids really look like? Um, what are their, what is their experience? And she goes through, um, a number of different vulnerabilities and not even only vulnerabilities, just kind of, um, what do these kids look like? And she talks about migration. She talks about child soldiering. She talks about, um, schooling. She talks about politics. Um, she talks about gender, you know, in class. And, um, so I, her book was, Absolutely fantastic. I haven't even taken the class yet, but I've already done the reading because it's just that good. <laughs> so I um, highly recommend that, uh, childhood in a global perspective.
0: So what we've learned, a few things about you today. One is that you're an overachiever. Um, so I don't know about that. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> at least in this instance, um, yeah, yeah. when it's something you want to do, which is good. It's that's how down. most sure. of us are anyway. That's what I said <laughs> to my kids who say, I don't like reading. It's like, no, you just haven't found something you like reading yet. Um, yeah, that's true. So, all right. So what one person is most impacted your thinking on orphan care and uh, how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence?
1: Um, so for me, I think the foremost is we learn through experience. Um, so I definitely have to say walking this path with Melissa has been the biggest thing that's impacted me. I know a lot of people say their wife but there's a reason for that. So, uh, for sure, Melissa, and of course, also being a father, um, my kids, uh, shepherd promise and Moses, um, Moses in particular, because we adopted him, um, has taught me a lot, um, because not everybody can get to know, uh, my family, uh, although, you know, if we ever see you, we'd love to have dinner with you, but, um, but, uh, aside from them, I would actually say, and I had actually mentioned this earlier, but when I read uh, Johnny Carr's book, Orphan Justice, Mm -hmm. um, several years ago, that book, um, it was a catalyst for me, I would say. Um, And that book is, you you can read that book. Um, When people have come out to intern with Kingdom Families, um, it's a required reading before somebody touches down, that as well as when helping hurts, Mm -hmm. so that people kind of understand the context um but Orphan Justice uh by Johnny Carr uh, that that book um deeply impacted me at an early level because I read it in 2014 and that's when when Kingdom Families was first getting off the ground and uh, it really informed a lot of kind of my philosophy and 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 yeah great great book
0: yeah, I've I've said that many times on the show, too. It's been recommended many times, both that and When Helping Hurts. I agree fully. I think I think Johnny in that book did something special as far as really bringing it down, as far as what El can do, what some can do, and what few can do in every chapter. And that was something that was just, yeah, just a great, great book. Totally agree. Um, Johnny's the real deal, man. He's a good, great guy, great friend, so... Um, mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your life. Thank you for um, just what you are contributing to the kingdom um, and the work that you're doing. And just thank you for your heart that it's definitely not about you. So thanks, Brandon.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it a lot. All the best.
0: Well, thanks again, Brandon, for uh, just sharing your wisdom again. Just the the new friendship that we've been able to develop. It's something that I, I am so thankful for. And, uh, I'm even more thankful that, uh, we were able to get this interview done so that you could share all that you've been learning with so many people out there that I, I imagine are going through a lot of the same things. So Karen, what, what, would you think about the, the conversation I was able to have with Brandon?
2: very much enjoyed it. I don't know Brandon, but I got connected with him through social media a couple of years ago, I think because of the podcast and had, um, checked out his work and his organizations and the things he and his wife were doing. So I've, I've been a follower for a while. So I was excited when I learned he was going to be on the show. So much important information that he shared. One of the things that stood out for me, uh, was when he was talking about, and we we talk about this often in here, Phil, but of just being culturally sensitive, especially when working in international settings, of entering in, um, not with the perspective of, I know everything, or we know everything, but from the perspective of how can we come alongside of locals, how can we come alongside of nationals, and help or add to or provide resources what can we do and one of the things that he mentioned was yo like people in Tanzania are already doing some of this Uh stuff they've been doing it for centuries and centuries like culturally it's relevant for extended families to take care of children kinship care has been ingrained within the culture for decades and centuries this is not something new and so I really found that um I was glad that he mentioned that. I was glad that he talked about just the differences too, especially with the language Um, and some of the areas that I've done work in especially in the rural areas of East Africa, um, even though there may be a word that translates for adoption in the main language, the, the rural areas in the tribal dialects, um, they don't have a word that translates for adoption. And so being very sensitive and culturally aware of, of even knowing that, that this word doesn't translate and, and how do we approach that? And so um, the cultural sensitivity, I thought, was a great part that Brandon talked about.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's something about this guy that I've, I've really been able to uh, see um, come through just in my conversations with him through the writing. Um, I was able to, as I said, I was able to read the, the draft English version of it. And just the humility of, of, of Brandon is, is it's, it's a real humility. It's a great example of, of what that looks like because, you know, we do have things to offer each other, right? So to, to ignore that you and I can go somewhere and actually offer something that we, we have expertise, experience, you know, just different things that we can, we can offer to people. And, um, you know, so, so Brandon, Brandon knows that, you know, so it's not like going in and going, I can't do anything. I just need to sit here and not do anything, but to to first learn, to first come in and say, you know what, Mm -hmm. let's start with all the amazing things that are going on here. Let's start with the amazingness of you, Right. And let's start with all the gifts and talents you have and all that you've already been doing. Because, first of all, there's nothing new under the sun. Second of all, we're not the smartest people in the world. You know, we're not <laughs> the greatest civilization ever known. That's simply not true. And, and we come into a lot of civilizations and we come into a lot of uh, places, civilizations. It sounds like we're going into like the Greco Roman Empire or something. But <laughs> we go into a lot of different situations, right? And we think, oh, we know what you're going through. That simply isn't true. Um, we need to know. I can't go into my neighbor's house and know what they're going through. I need to learn about mm-hmm. them. I need to get to know them. I need to build a relationship with them. And then in that, we will know. We talk about that all the time on the show. But to hear Brandon talk about it in the context of real-life situation was so encouraging to me. And then to see him write a book and yes. do it in Swahili. Like, yes. that's awesome. You know, I mean, t- we we talk about it's not written, you know, for any other purpose, but to really help and encourage, but that, I mean, Oh man, I was so encouraged by that. I was, I mean, I, I and I, I, just your reaction there. I mean, I knew you were as well. Um, we haven't talked about that, but I'm, I'm saying that because I know, I know you and I know your heart. Yep. And so, you know, that's something that I think we can all be encouraged by. And to say, you know, it doesn't mean we all go over and write a book in, you know, some different foreign language. <laughs> Um, You know, and, and, you know, he obviously had help doing that, but that, that's something that we talk about the heart language and the importance of learning in your heart language. And it is, it's so critical. And it's it's one of the reasons why I really do want to still want to get in pursuit into all these different languages, you know, because I think it it will help people. Um, And so anyway, yeah, that's something that, that really stuck out to me with Brandon and, uh, you know, also just hearing about how he's a learner, you know, he's listening to podcasts, yeah. he's reading the book, you know, and I, we talked about the interchange about, about in pursuit, you know, both you and I wrote part of that book. And so to, to hear him talk about it, you know, as a you know, really saying it helped me here, you know, and I learned a lot of stuff. And what do you say? Like I give it a medium or something like that. Um, you know, and I I do also love that he, his favorite chapter is neither yours nor mine, um, which is fantastic. And I love that because, you know, and that, but that's, that's the beauty of it is we're all, he's, he's learning and he's continually saying, how can I learn from others? And how can I help others with, with the little bit that I have? So any what else what else came out of it uh for you Yeah
2: and I would just say you know even though Brandon didn't give a shout out to the psychosocial chapter um yo that's okay like all is forgiven because um, Brandon knew about, uh, Karen Wells mm. and childhood in a global perspective. So mad points for that. Good job, Brandon. Um, I'm sure we're going to do recommendations per usual, but that's a phenomenal book for you guys out there, especially working in international settings. It gives a great perspective of what it looks like, um, developmentally with kiddos from a global perspective. Mm. So mad points on that all is, all as well. And Karen Wells,
0: all as well, Karen Wells. Oh, got it, got it. You know, usually the humor and sarcasm and all that does not translate very well on on the podcast. podcast. And I'm, I'm guessing that that one won't be either. So, um, Ooh,
2: that's why I explained it. Yeah, it might, I, I it
0: might, know. you know, yeah. and you know, and that's, that's good. That's good. I'm sure there will be people out there who are laughing at that. And that's, that's great, Karen. And that <laughs> my, some
2: eye rolling. That's okay.
0: And my reaction to that right there will also be the sarcasm that is not translating well. So we're, <laughs> we're good there but we're at the point of the of the <laughs> podcast where sometimes the wheels start falling off a little bit, but, uh, you know, we have people out there and I love you people who are sitting there with us and tracking and laughing and enjoying it. Cause you know us <laughs> and that's, you know, you're our people and I love it. And, and that's fantastic. If you're new to this, um, welcome and sit down, <laughs> grab a drink and just enjoy the time with Karen, Karen and me. Um, we love, we love that you're here. So with that, you kind of, you kind of, Stole my thunder a little bit with the, uh, Dr. Karen and Phil recommends today because today was supposed to be one of my recommendations, but I'm glad you did because your recommendations are always a lot more to do with the the nuts and bolts of, of orphan care and like clinical stuff and things that will really help people, uh, in that regard. And mine typically are on the, uh, either fun or things that are a little outside the, the normal thought of uh, that actually has to do with orphan care today is no exception. Today, I have two great resources. One is a, a Q talk from Q 2018. It's by Andy Crouch. It's been on the Twitter sphere a little bit recently. If you've been following different people, they've been posting this talk and it's for good reason. I was able to hear it a few months ago. I listened to it again actually right before this uh, recording because um, I wanted to it's just to be fresh to make sure that, uh, you know, I really did think it was as good as it was. And uh, it's called Overcoming our greatest affliction. And I'm just gonna recommend you go take the 18 minutes, listen to it. It just talks about how one of the biggest things plaguing our society is loneliness. And you know, and it's so good. It's talking about the reasons for that, the different revolutions that have happened. Um, not talking about like civil war type revolution or revolutionary war type revolution, but, but, uh, just revolutions like the industrial revolution and, you know, things like that, that have changed how we think and how we act and uh, how we lack relationship a lot of the time because of it. And so uh, definitely, and you know, it's not just a depressing talk about that. It's, it's given some, some encouragement to us to not let relationship go. And that's what we talk about so much on the show. And so it does have everything to do with what we're talking about on this show. It's just not in the context of an orphan care conference or something like that, which if you've been listening long enough, you know that, you know, I'm, I'm one that kind of thinks a lot more holistically. So the other one on that note is, is in line with, uh, my recommendations about, uh, between the world and me and, uh, look, I asked and Channing Brown, I'm forgetting the name of that one at this point, but, um, I'm Still Here is the name of that book. And uh, this one is called Insider, Outsider. My Journey as a Stranger in White Evangelicalism and My Hope for Us All by Brian Loritz. Brian is a friend of mine. Um, I've gotten to know him a little bit. Our boys uh, played some basketball together at family camp a few years ago. And I love this guy. I love his heart. I love his boldness. Um, and I love him just, ha- you know, him speaking, uh, you know, truth in the context of his story. I don't want to, I don't like saying his truth cause I, it is truth. Um, but it also involves, is in the context of his story that I can never know fully, but I can seek to understand. And that's something that he makes that possible in this book. And for a, a white guy like me, for Karen, for a white woman like you, it's, it's something that we can read to really understand, you know, what, it, what is it in, in the, in the context of these churches that we've been a part of since we were little, in to to understand um, what it's like for someone who's not like us, the other yeah. to come in right and so we talked about it more and more. I think this is just a fantastic book from a pastor who's been part of many different churches and he's a guy who has been in a lot of suburbs, a lot of places that are very white um, mm-hmm. and he's just really trying to figure it out right alongside of, of me and you and uh, all of us all of us listening so strongly recommend it. I actually listened to it on a on one day drive back and forth, um, to the Bay area. Uh, I had enough time to listen to it and I just consumed it the first day it came out and I'm glad I did. And I don't think you will regret taking the time to listen to it or read it either. So as always, I, uh, I pray and hope that you take all that you've learned today, all that you're learning from everything you're reading, conversations you're having, movies you're watching, podcasts you're listening to, other things you're, you're consuming,